I'm glad you came down, Kyle. Um, I was sharing your page and your content with George. And I was just like, yo, uh, what do you think about having this guy on? He's doing some super dope stuff. I actually, um, actually, first time I met you, um, I was with another guy I was trying to start a podcast with, Maurice. And you were having something similar to like a, um, I guess, I don't know the word, but it was like a gathering of, of men. And we were just kind of like talking about like different struggles and things that we were facing. And I was like, oh, this is dope. And it's in West Philly. You're three minutes from where I live. So I was like, oh, shit. I didn't know we had this kind of stuff in the area. So I'm glad you came down. I'm excited to hear your story. Uh, I'm officially welcoming you to the Man Cave podcast. You already know my boy George. You met him earlier. And really, you know, we're just going to jump straight into it. And uh, I want you to tell the people a little bit about yourself, um, what it is that you do exactly, and, um, you know, explain what your business is in a sense. Certainly. Uh, well, first and foremost, thank you all for having me. I'm Kyle, the conductor, the founding executive director of the ECO Foundation. ECO stands for Education, Culture, and Opportunities. I'm a uh, full-time uh, father, which is my newest role. Um, <laughs> been a husband for a little longer than that, so that's, like, different. And um, But I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've been selling things since I was little. My dad had he, uh, books of poetry. I would sell at his open mics. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to be selling stuff for me, too. Got to get him a mic. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> he has, a, you know, like, really thoughtful uh, contributions, but we're going <laughs> to save him for later. Um, but, yeah, so um, I've been hustling since I was a young boy, and uh, when I was 26, I decided to quit my day job as an assistant principal and start my for-profit, which later became my non-profit. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Awesome. And um, so this full-time entrepreneur just doing this from the mud, and um, there was a turning point, which I also discussed later, where things really went from like, you know, no profit and Uber around the clock and selling wristbands and buttons and stickers and t-shirts on my trunk, you know, to, you know, a six figure lifestyle that can support my family and I can right. work from home and do what I need to do. So I'm really fortunate and uh, blessed to be able to do the work we do. And uh, um, I'm happy to be here today. Awesome. So, I mean, what is it that you do? Cause like, like I said, when I met you, you were having men kind of like talking about men's stuff. So Word. What is it that you that you were hoping to accomplish when you when you started the business? You know what? Um, so I guess I, I kind of gleaned over that. So like as the founding executive director, um, now CEO, and the only difference is like how many departments you have or whatever. Yeah. But it's the same thing. But it's more of a nonprofit title. Um, my goal has always been to create safe spaces for people to do what they need to do, so they can become the person we need them to be as a as a culture, as a society. Um, and what we do with the Eco Foundation is three major parts. So we have the creative education, uh, which is meetings and meetups, like when people are just kicking it, they don't even know that they're learning. We call it edutainment. That's actually what I'm getting my doctorate in at uh, Temple University. Congrats. Um, appreciate it. I'll be done whenever I turn this stuff in. <laughs> but I'm um, working on the dissertation now. So um, it's really me versus me for like the last year and a half, which has, you know, been fun. Um, not at all. But... Um, <laughs> But a couple of my friends finished the program. It was a cohort model. So shout out to uh, Dr. Bowen. She's inspiring me because we started at our, our grad program together and uh, decided to do this journey together. So anyway, um, so through, the, through that, it's about creative education because in the K-12 space or K-to college space, uh, you're more likely to stay engaged and pay attention and finish what you're assigned and go the extra mile if you're having fun. Many of you, I'm sure, remember listening or, or checking out the like the egg drop project when you were in high school yeah, or like what cell phone cases are doing at now or like, you know, Jeopardy was always fun or whenever you saw like the the uh, the cart come out with the TV on, you know it's going to be a good time. So 
our job is to make every learning experience fun, uh, whether that's in a class space or a community space. And that's kind of what our men's group was. It was Man, Man Crown Monday. And um, that was our, uh, that was our, like, we just bought the, not even bought, we were renting the community center. That was October, 2020, actually. And um, we moved in there August, 2020. But we've been a nonprofit since 2018. So yeah. And then uh, the other part is um, healthy food. So uh, our job is to make sure that our families have healthy food and resources. And we use, do that through the help of the Young Bull program. And Bull stands for Bold Unstoppable Leader. So we actually pay young people as young as 10 years old to learn and serve. So they learn anything from sign language to self-defense, self-love, communication, uh, music production, business development, uh, do a lot of debating lately. Um, so they learn a skill and then they... They're paid to do that, and then they're paid to help us pack up food, resources, toiletries, and distributing them to 44 households within walking distance of the Eco Center, and uh, the rest of it gets distributed on the corner of 54th and Market. Um, so that's what we do. We pay them through that. We have over 200 young people signed up over the years. Uh, we do cohorts right now. We have about 25 people enrolled. Um, it's a sliding scale of how much we, um, the financial incentive that we offer, but it's anywhere from $5 an hour if you're underage as a thank you for being here yeah. um, to $20 an hour if you're between the ages of 21 and 26. Um, we were originally going up to 24, but people have been with us for a couple of years and they're 26 now. So um, those are the things we do uh, as an organization. And what I do is make sure that we are, everything we're doing is mission aligned, vision aligned. Um, we went from two employees last year this time last year to 17 right now so we've been growing ridiculously i've been fortunate enough to write over a million dollars in grants in the last 18 months uh we also have a grant writer that we work with amaya howard from samaritan grants she's now our director of development um so we actually have three contractors um and 14 employees but uh, 13 i include myself so just to grow like this has been wild so it's funny i was talking to my um my wife and his godmom uh, her best friend this weekend and it's I'm I just started working the month of December I just started working less than 50 hours a week Wow. Um, and I was sick during Thanksgiving so that was like still 35 40 hours a week and literally December I'm like everything's delegated all the systems we built when everyone just started working in September for the most part um, so we had people that have been around that we were able to once we got these multi-year grants we were able to offer them more consistent work. So they're not just coming in on a Saturday to work with the Young Bull program, but now they can work uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays at our after school hangout, um, beyond the bars, build a music studio in one of our empty apartments upstairs. Uh, we were able to buy the building last year. So we went from renting in 2020, we bought the building November 5th, it's half a million dollars, six units, two commercial, four residential. And um, it's just been a blessing to be able to do that. We raised 100K in 100 days, uh, 116,000 in 100 days was a closing cost. And um, we did that through the well, I'll talk about how we did that a little later. I mean, that's one of the questions, but um, we want to show our people that we're there for generations to come. You know, we're not just we're not just a flash in the pan. We're not just here to to you know to to take some pictures and and keep it moving. And if we didn't hire this marketing team, um, shout out to uh, Rose Golden, who's a phenomenal um, consultant. But if we didn't hire her, we wouldn't document anything. I mean, we're we're moving. We're not. We're not, we take pictures and stuff. We don't post how we should. We don't have things looking all pretty because it's not about that. It's about the work. Um, a lot of things we do is in silence and, uh, you know, real G's, lasagna, blah, blah, blah. But um, <laughs> I think what's important is that, you know, we're service first. So um, that's what we're about and that's what we've been about and that's what we're going to keep doing. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a great story. I mean, <laughs> just to hear the success that you've already reached. 
Um, but I do want to ask, like, what was the motivation to even start this off? Like, uh, you know, you said that you made the decision at 26. Mm-hmm. But what led, like, what happened at 26 where you was like, this is the time that I need to start changing and start doing the good that you're doing? <laughs> I thought about the Tupac song, Changes. Um, <laughs> I see no changes. <laughs> but I did wake up in the morning and I asked myself. Um, nah, so uh, I think to take it a step further back, right? Like, I can't talk about... 26 if I don't talk about 16 and at 16 I was suspended from school um for whatever reason I think it was like junior year it was probably like literally farting in class or um or selling bootleg CDs it was something like really we're talking during a fire drill junior year suspensions were stupid yeah um eighth and ninth grade were like you know whatever but either way um I was home from school and it was a movie called Accepted and it was about these kids who couldn't get into college, so they yeah. started their own school. And it was called Southampton Institute of Technology. Yep. And I was home from school watching it. you never it. seen it? It was pretty good. Yeah, Jonah Hill. They, yeah, Jonah Hill. Nah, yeah. so... Uh, it was a whole thing. Like They didn't get it. into okay. the, the colleges they wanted to. And to not disappoint their parents, they ended up making up a whole college. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, it's an old movie. Columbus Short was in it. It was yeah. uh, He was like the token black guy. But it was cool because <laughs> at the end of the movie, without... So, spoiler alert. Um, without, After like 20 years, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, they had to prove in court that they were actually learning. So, like, uh, the class that was you know, just swimming um, or lounging in a pool was actually like meditation or mindfulness. So the class that was um, skateboarding was like, they had to build it. So it was engineering and it was, so I was like, wow, learning can be fun all the time. Yeah. So how do we make learning fun? And then my first job out of college was at um, uh, an aid service organization, not too far from here, uh, but they had a youth drop-in center. So I was a center manager. So I enjoyed making sure food was there and people had, you know, laundry services and whatever, like unhoused youth. But what I really cared about was the workshops. I really appreciated, like, for the first time, being able to facilitate meaningful programs. So for me, that was um, that was where I first, like, got the teacher bug, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, that's, that's Kat. I started teaching in 2011 in an internship. Um, I was teaching cameras converting communities, this thing I made up where, like, young people get to learn how to use cameras and write scripts. And we made gun violence PSAs down in Wilmington, Delaware. I did that for two summers. And then my first job out of college... Um, Actual, actually, I was substitute teaching before that. I think I forget how much I was doing education, <laughs> but um, but I, I didn't really get the bug to really care. I think I wasn't trained on what, like trauma informed, and you know, I was more of a I was doing things, but I didn't know to put people first mm-hmm. before that job. And um, I got fired from there about a year later, and then I was hired as a history teacher, and then I went from a teacher to a dean of students, which I was really an overseer. Uh, for other black and brown children um, at a credit recovery program. And then I went from being an overseer to an assistant principal or a site coordinator. And I'm like, yo, I'm ready to quit. I can't do this anymore. Kids are graduating and not doing anything or they're still getting shot or they're still doing the shooting or they're still like getting locked up. You know, we're not doing our job effectively. And I got fired from my last job for allowing a young man who was six months younger than me to stay at my house. I know I couldn't do that. I know I wasn't supposed to, but it was raining. He got kicked out of shelter. Me and my ex picked him up. Like one in the morning, no, it was like 11, 11 p.m. We got home around one and um, word got back. And I was already a crappy employee. So for the record, like I was dealing with a lot. I was, I'm a gunshot survivor. So the shooting happened uh, January. It's coming up on 10 years. So January 1st, 2013. And I got hired in October. So but my final surgery from the shooting was in August. So I was still like perked up, still drinking, smoking, just, you know, numbing. 
um, escaping, you know, disassociating. So by the time I started the job, I was like, well, my life is definitely better than theirs. And what I'm what I'm doing is focusing on fixing everyone else's problems instead of fixing my own. So I'm listening to how this person's making progress going to therapy. And I never went to therapy. And I'm just kind of comparing myself to them and just like living vicariously through them and like going above and beyond. And ultimately, I guess, I mean, I bump into them sometimes and I guess I was a, a positive light in their lives. But to me, I was, um, at least how I viewed it, I was not as helpful as I could have been. Um, so I'm glad I was fired and found the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> and then in, at 26, after putting my 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 notice in, they uh, gave me the assistant principal position. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I want to quit here. Thanks for the promotion. But, you know, I, I just, I had a really successful event in 20, uh, August uh, 2016. And I realized I can sell tickets and merch and I can get to the bag. I made like $1,100 in a night and I've never made that much money before. Wow, yeah. And my rent was like six fifty for a one bedroom. The market was different. But, um, and through that, I realized like, maybe this entrepreneurship thing is possible. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can chase my dreams while I'm still fast enough to catch them. And, um, and that's what we did. So, um, that was the determining the, that's what determined me quitting my day job to start my first LLC encore entertainment. I got it back September, 2016 put my one month's notice in and uh, I ain't looked back since. Haven't had a boss then. Well, shout out to you because that shit ain't easy. It's coming from somebody who's been in real estate for six years, uh, working for yourself shit is not easy. Yeah, I'm glad to know we can cuss on this. Oh, listen, this is what we do. Right, hold on. I was like, yeah, this stuff, this crap is challenging. <laughs> silliness. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. This is this is forked up. <laughs> and side note for anybody watching not from Philly, uh, 650 for one bedroom. Now you got to be in Kensington. And if you don't know Kensington, then. That's you know, a studio, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a studio. And right. then you got to be out there in zombie land looking yeah. World War Z out there. Doing. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, that's because, you know, in that market, they have. Um, I actually did some opioid research, like my second year of my doctoral program. And. Um, completely unrelated, but I just want to extra practice. And I found out they actually have, they're called like safe zones. Yeah. So like for within like a one mile radius or so, you can, it's an open air market. You can yeah. sell, distribute, use, you know, uh, heroin specifically mm-hmm. and opioids, but not, you know, crack is still crack. <laughs> weed is still weed. <laughs> Everything else is there. But yeah, opioids. Yeah, yeah, sure. And ironically, the fastest growing uh, rate of addictions is actually from 16 to 24 year old black men. Um, that's the fastest growing uh, group to mm-hmm. become addicted to opioids. So, from Percocets. Man, that's yeah. that's that's scary to hear. Yeah. I have um I have two brothers who are basically teenagers at this point, and I'm just like, it's it's a full time job just trying to keep them out of trouble and keep them alive. And then to hear you know that they're the fastest growing demographic for something like that, and it's so easy to get your hands on this stuff. Yeah. It's like, damn near. It's like a more of a chance for you to to get into drugs and strung out on stuff than it is for you to not. Yeah, no, 100%. or sell it at least. Yeah, you know, exactly. I started selling weed and zanies when I was fourteen. So I caught a weapons charge when I was fourteen, and uh, luckily I was tried as a child or a juvenile. And um, I just wanted to be something I wasn't. Like my cousins, they sold weed and they lived in the hood, and I lived in Roxboro. We had deers and oh come on, you know, Kyle. like yeah, I just want. I had both parents, like not in the same house, but my dad lived up the street to my grandma's house, right. and I lived, you know, within the same two lights. And um, 
but I wanted to be something I wasn't because I didn't know what being black was. It wasn't until I went to Cheney University, the first HBCU that I recognized like you could be black from Montana, black from the suburbs, black from the farms, black from, it's all black, you know, um, internationally black. Like, so, you know, but at the time I wanted something else. So I think that as long as you have, even if you have the right guidance, you have to uh, make sure that young people love themselves. I didn't love myself. So ultimately I would do things that, you know, people who love themselves just don't do. Um, so, because I think there's a certain level of confidence and assuredness that comes. Like people who are not confident and assured may want to start entrepreneur, becoming an entrepreneur because it's it seems easy. I can work for myself or whatever, or it seems like, you know, I have. Most of the time, if you're trying to do it that way, trying to get to the quick bag, it's not going to last in the first place. But also, it's it's typically because it's like an MLM of some sort, and you yeah. just can't see that it's MLM. Um, but you're not going to make money. Um, if you're not confident, if you don't like the turning point, once again, for me, I didn't really get into it, but it was therapy. So like when I started therapy and I started trusting myself, I learned how to forgive myself and then I could love myself. I actually start with forgiveness, then trust and then love. And that was 2017. And, um, my wife was my wife at the time, but got me going to therapy and my brother who was shot that night as well. I was shot six times. He was shot once. Um, in the foot, bottom of his foot, hit his hands and feet up. And um, uh, he was going to therapy every Tuesday for like mm -hmm. a year. And I didn't go to therapy until 2017, so like four years later. And then um, started ECO. I was in grad school at Link University, the second HBCU. And um, that my professor... <laughs> he, um, subtle shade. <laughs> I mean, they're a second. You know, the first to, to award degrees, but okay. Congress defines HBCU as, you know, Jenny Rush, whatever. Um, 1837, numbers don't lie. But the point is... Um, and uh, if y'all not from the area, it's like a huge uh, thing. Okay. I mean, what's wild is like other schools don't even know Cheney and Lincoln exist because we're yeah. the first and second, but like they're like, there's the Howard, they're, you know, FAMU, they're Tuskegee, yeah. they're Morehouse, you know, yeah. they're like, what, Cheney what? But hey, we wouldn't be y'all without <laughs> us. Um, but I digress. Um, was one of my little sister's vocab words, digress. Um, <laughs> shout out to Autumn. Um, but yeah, so the whole thing um, that I was talking about, I forgot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, it's cool. So, so like, uh, yeah, staying on the, uh, the the topic of being an entrepreneur, you said your business at one point was for profit, right? Yes. So why did you go from, you know, for profit to being a nonprofit? Thank you. I was at my, I was in class. I was uh, actually in, in between classes. So when I went to grad school, I had a scholarship that expired and I had to go that year, that fall. It was five years out of undergrad. And I took the scholarship and I was taking 21 credits in the fall, 21 credits in the spring to graduate with a whole master's program in a, you know, one year. And which was like normal to me because in college I took 21 credits the same semester I had uh, pledged my fraternity, same semester I graduated and did five internships. Like it's just, I've been, when I want something, I get it. And I think that's the thing, like you have to, when I was like probably to my own detriment, but I, I made it. Um, so at this time I'm taking 21 credits. I'm hosting open mics around the city. And one of them, like specifically, this was a Thursday. So my day started teaching in a classroom, uh, ninth graders. And then I went to do an after school program for middle schoolers from West Philly, like 53rd and media to like right next to what was one of the grad schools. So I'll just say that. So like 18th street North nice town. And then I went from there to 30th and market to go to grad classes. And I left there from 530 to 830 and went to go host an open mic from nine to two, nine to one. And I would get home around two. And while I was hosting, I would also sell merchandise. So that was my days. So I got two hours of sleep a day. <laughs> I mean, I was 26. I wasn't sleeping. Well, I was 27, about to be 28. I wasn't sleeping. But what I was doing was I was bagging up 
wristbands, buttons, and stickers. And my and I would slide like these little uh, inserts. Um, I'll actually give a couple of y'all. Yeah. Um, these little inserts, I have like, at the time, QR codes wasn't really a thing, but I had like the website on one side, I had the um, information on the other. By purchasing this, you're supporting this program because what we did was we sold tickets, t-shirts, and merchandise to fund our youth programming at schools, to fund um, really anything. Anything we were doing, we had a Mansa men's group. My son's first name was actually Mansa, but um, Mansa was like an acronym that stood for something, like mentoring achievement, something, something. But um, either way, he saw me, Dr. Tucho saw me and said, what are you doing? I explained, well, if I can sell 140 of these and we'll have enough money to blah, blah, blah. He said, just start a nonprofit. I said, it's not that easy. Like you just start a nonprofit. Yeah. He was like, nah, just do it. You'll, you'll it'd be expensive on the front end, but it'd be worth it. I'm like, I don't know, man. Cause you know, I, that's like thousands of dollars. I don't have thousands. I barely had 650 to pay rent. This is 20, this is 2018. This is February, 2018. And I just had an Uber passenger, uh, Joshua J. Myers or something, JJ something. I don't know. He told me about Yippie Kaye Nonprofit Solutions. He had a nonprofit. He was, we were the same age. I'm like, you have a nonprofit? You're only like 26, 27, 28. He was like, yeah, well, you know, I went to Yippie Kaye Nonprofit Solutions. You can actually pay in payments. It's not like a commercial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you can, they don't exist anymore. Um, you can uh, pay in installments. Um, and they do all the paperwork for you. They have a vault. They have give you a concierge. They walk you through the process. Boom. I had him in the end of 2017 um, and doing Uber. And then 2018, this happened February. And my professor said, just do it. I gave it some thought. That was like a um, Thursday. The next night, I was at some, I was vending at an event. And then I just felt, I felt like, yo, now's the time to do it. I took the money I made from there and I put a down payment on that next Wednesday. I said, let me just put on my credit card. And um, yeah, by April 30th, we got our 501c3 um, letter in the mail. So, you know, it, it changed it changed the game, it changed the trajectory, and it changed what we were able to get. So I think when you have a for-profit, and it's funny, we're actually about to start a for-profit now. We need more wiggle room, more flexibility. I learned about EITCs. We're turning a nonprofit into an EITC and then being able to use your uh, taxes that you would owe instead of paying it to the government, you can give it to the nonprofit either mm -hmm. directly or through a donor advised fund by going through like a Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity or whomever. Um, so you learn more, you know, you do better. And, uh, but at the time, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to fund this. I'm like, nonprofit, you don't make money. That's a misconception. Like you can make all the money. Red Cross is a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's all these big companies that are nonprofits, but the way it works is at the end of your year, your money has to be accounted for. So it can't be considered profit. It can go to your overhead. So we're going to finish this year uh, December 11th, we still got some time to hear back from some grants, but we'll probably finish this year at like 750, 725. But we have in the bank, like between our different bank accounts, probably, and I'm really transparent. The bottom of our website has like our, um, our budget, should, it has like our 501c3, it has every articles, bylaws, all that at the bottom of our homepage, theecofoundation.com or theecofoundation.org. It'll take you to the same place. But, um, but by the end of this year, we'll have like three hundred thousand in the bank cash. That, but that's that doesn't mean we profited three hundred thousand. That money's accounted for. That's yeah. overhead. That's our, our mortgage is already our mortgage for the whole year is already in a different bank account already. Like that's just the same bank that gave us the mortgage is their bank. The, the money is in there. We don't have to worry about it. Um, but then we have our payroll. So like everyone's payroll, including bonuses, we were fortunate enough to give out a thousand dollars to every employee. Um, everyone gets a paid month off to hibernate, you know, dig in. What are your goals going into hibernation? We're going to meet back up at our welcome black party, January 14th. 
Um, and then January 16th, our first day of service, MLK Day. But during that month off, like people were putting their head down and spending time with family, yeah. self, you know, coming back whole. Recharging. Recharging, yeah. right, right. So, but either way, that money's accounted for. We have it in there, but it's, it's profitable. But our first year, we made $33,000. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a $20,000 grant. One of my frat brothers hooked me up. He was at some company, saw the work we was doing. Uh, Bartram's Gardens gave us 10K, and we raised some more money for food because um, kids didn't have lunch or whatever. So 33 the first year, 167 the second year. Um, no, 33 the first year, like 60, 70 the second year, 2019. And then 167, we jumped. And then last year we had 672 or 667, something like that. You can check it out. It's on our website. And um, this year we should be at like 725, 750. I don't know what they made this deposit. I filled out a form. Um, it's funny because the funders who really give you bread don't want any recognition. They gave us 205,000. They gave us 5,000 to go to the Poconos on a retreat to my whole staff out there, 17 of us. Well, that was people's kids, so like 15 people plus kids. My wife, so 14. And um, either way, we're out in the Poconos and we, you know, they pay for that, for self-care. That was only for self-care and connection and mm-hmm. nature and all of that. And then they gave us 200000 100000 for operating and 100000 for the Young Boy program I told you about. Yeah. We don't get a lot of operational budgets. They don't want any record. They don't want a social media shout out. They don't want nothing. <laughs> like, they don't. But then people who give us like twelve thousand five hundred or three thousand dollars or yeah. five, they put want me you on to, your gram. Put me they on. Want, your they want they want shout outs. They want yeah. they want you to write um, testimonials. They want you to um, like detailed breakdowns of how you spent the money. Like they're really like like whoa, buddy. Like you know. So, but I'm I'm still happy for all of that. Everything adds up. You think the the motivation between the the two is just different? I think is when you have less, you you're more worried about what people are doing with it. The companies who are paying, like, they're a nonprofit arm of a major for-profit company. Okay. So they have six uh, areas that they care. No, seven, six or seven targeted, uh, six, it's a um, hexagon. Um, six targeted areas that they focus on, and we're the fellowship. And they have the justice. And they have, like, even, like, animal rights. Like, they six just target areas that the for-profit company cares about. And they split millions of dollars up between, like each cohort, it's like ten organizations. Each cohort, sixty orgs getting millions and millions of dollars, and they don't care because they just gotta yeah. not clean the money. But they know that they trust us to make the mm-hmm. right decisions because we're on the front lines. And some people don't trust you to make the right decisions for your community. I'm not from West Philly. I live in West Philly. Well, at the time I lived in West Philly when we opened the center, I lived upstairs. But that's why we have a community advisory board. We get this money, but I can't make decisions for people. Like that's not. I have an idea of what works, but. How do we bring those young people that live in our community, their parents, their families, their guardians, the, the store owners who, who who care to come together, join this community advisory board and suggest help us in better ways to support them? We're getting the money, so let's make sure we're putting our money where our mission is. Uh, I do have to ask, like, so much success that you've had. Uh, and I looked up 90% of nonprofits fail after, like, two to three years. And you're on the up and up and everything seems to go so well. What do you think you did differently that the other 90% didn't do? So by going to therapy, um, with my second therapist, my first therapist was cool, but he was like, I'm telling him I'm overworked, I'm doing too much. And he's like, oh, cool, join this board of directors. I'm leaving the hospital and I'm no longer like connected, so you should join. I was like, okay, <laughs> I want to serve. That sounds cool. And, um, you know, Shout out to him. I found out later he was my frat brother. So I'm like, that's that's some alpha thing. That's the thing alphas would do. Um, but, um, and I say that because we see the good in other people. We want them to rise to some yeah. unreachable measure. Um, but then my second therapist really helped me, like, figure some things out and realize it's not, it's not 
bag to ask for help. So the board members I had there that were just kind of there on paper, they were able to be people who I asked for help to step up. So by having a team to help me with the day-to-day things, it allowed us to get more contracts. A lot We made about $210,000 on contracts um, last year, uh, 2021. And um, that's because school partners trusted us. But a lot of those connections came from people that I had to ask for. Yeah, people that I had to ask for help. So realistically, um, by having that team really made a difference. And then when the pandemic happened, I didn't care what was going on. People, the markets got raided and we needed to give out food. And even though I didn't live in West Philly at that time, I was renting a room um, so I could be closer to one of our, our late night contracts by Jawar College. It was like a 9 p.m. type job. Um, I needed to make sure that people had food. So what we did was I took my own money and I asked the board for $50 of Eco's money and we started giving out food and then giving out more food. And then six markets were shut down and we were at all six markets giving out food. And then people ended up raising $7,000 on social media in a, in a week. And then we had money for drivers. And then we had hundreds of families signed up. And then we realized we had a bunch of young people that were just hanging out doing nothing because the, the, the rec centers got their basketball courts taken down and all of that. And, you know, idle minds. So what we had to do was give them some money. So it was like, look, this older lady needs some help carrying some stuff. We need some help bagging up these bags, and, you know, getting this fresh produce, telling them, all right, this box of 38 or uh, 68 apples costs $30. And we got to, you know, how much is each apple? And then, you know, like kind of doing math yeah. right on the spot. We're teaching them on the corner of, and then eventually we were in up to six neighborhoods a day. So for the first two weeks, we were out there every day. Markets started to open back up and then we would change neighborhoods every week. So twice a week, we were in different neighborhoods. And then we found our, our go-to spots. But West Philly is where our roots were. And that's why I decided to reach out to Darius, who we bought the building from, Solid Brother, who's my landlord first. And um, and yeah, he gave us the Eco Center for $700 a month, 2020. And um, then we got the back half for, for 1000 And then uh, we were doing an event called Party at the Polls that November for the election. And I was talking to him. He said he was doing some things to refi. And I was like, well, look, we want to buy it. And he said, you serious? And I said, yeah. Boy, don't let that go. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I said, we want, I said, I'm serious. You know, how much is it? And he told us, he said, we need 20%. I said, all right. I know, I know. And and then we gave it and then we bought it. So, here. So that's how that went. Uh, man, I um, I recognize that the, the difference between us, even though we're both entrepreneurs, is what you just said, like, you realize that you had to ask for help. Yeah. I'm the type of person, I try to do everything by myself. Yeah. And my fiance constantly is like, you captain, save a hoe, you mm-hmm. this, you always trying to do everything by yourself. That's ego. Is it? Cause That's I, ego. I, I feel like for me, it's all, well, maybe it is some ego now that I'm thinking about it. It's, it's all like, ego. I don't know if I can trust somebody else to be able to do the job. To the that standard that you have. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe you're right. You know. Yeah. You have to be able, someone said, if you can, if they can do it at least 80% as good as you can, then delegate it. And I've learned sometimes and 60 is fine. It's <laughs> real right. With the therapy. Like, Do therapy, yeah. Because yeah. you got to let stuff go, man. Like, I, I didn't just, I wasn't just a, a gunshot survivor, right? Like, sexual abuse survivor, um, black in America, black in a white neighborhood in the 90s. Um, and then, like, all that stuff aside, too, like, what is being a man? My, my dad told my dad's 60th birthday, he had, he wanted to get roasted. I said, I'm going to go last. <laughs> and um, and it was, you know, I, I pulled some punches. But just talking about how you didn't let me cry, you know? Like, I was shedding tears in that room because people, one, I know my dad had friends. And two, they had such nice things to say about him. And I was like, wow, like, 
this man, I've, I get a lot of this stuff from him, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm cracking jokes about how he wouldn't let me cry. He said, no, I said you can cry, but you just, the reason she was crying for was just, you know, not good enough reasons. I said, dad, physical pain, emotion, it's all, it's all pain, bro. Like, you know, Tony, uh, Tony Gaskins, I think his name is from the, the man box talks about, you can't, um, you can't, you wouldn't tell an athlete to walk off a broken leg. So you don't, why do we tell boys and, and men to walk off emotional pain yeah. and just keep it moving? Like that's stupid. So, but a lot of times when I want to do things on my own, I don't trust people. It's because I had control issues and control issues stem from a different things. But my second therapist told me, uh, shout out to Tony, the light worker. He told me, um, control is the number one drug. We do drugs. We, we drink, we do whatever, try acquire money and wealth and success so we can have control over ourselves and our, our situations. And I thought about only reason why I wanted to do, get all this money and do all these things because I wanted to be able to hire whoever I want to hire because I felt so restricted being in schools, not being able to put my money where my mission is and having a young boy, I can't pay you $10 an hour, but I'm telling you not to be out in this corner. Now I can get the, the trappers to lead the block alone because they see how hot it is. I'm like, look, what you making? Three, three, well, here's, Here's $2,000 for the month. There's 2,000. I want you to, one thing I really need and a bunch of things, I'm like, I don't know, bro. Reorganize the, the comic books. Like, <laughs> like, like dust the dust. Like, I don't know, like do dust something. Like, like switch the chairs around, draw a picture. I don't know, color, but but just having them out the way and connected to service is what's important. And, um, but going back to like being able to do things on your own, a lot of entrepreneurs aren't willing to let go of, um, of, of, of their vision. And I'm not saying water down your vision, but, when it's collective, like it's not about me, it's about making sure families eat. And when I realized I couldn't do the young boy program how I needed to, because I'm showing up late or I'm canceling or I'm whatever, I had to ask Sister Bella, Bella, hey, can you step in? Can you hold down Saturdays? And then by her doing that, I was able to grow something else. You only got so much water and you can't water everything, but you know, you had to trust that other people can water it for you. And sometimes they have, you know, more people pouring into them because they don't have all the, they don't wear all the crowns you wear. You know what I mean? So yeah. I know I always say my fiance, well, my wife, uh, we got married like a year ago, um, but appreciate it. But like it, it, her as a support person, like her telling me, I'm not your therapist, I'm your friend at the time. You need to speak to a professional. You can't just keep dumping on your friends all the time. Yeah. We, we can't be getting drunk and then now you're, you know, you crying or you all uptight, you're not breathing. Like you about to get an ulcer. Like, what are you doing? So, you know, she taught me into going to therapy and, and, that was really a turning point, and then I, I could ask for help. But now it's still not easy. I still, I still want to control a lot of things. But um, I'd rather have peace of mind and work from home with baby boy all day on, on uh, Zoom or you know behind a computer than and know that my team has it than me micromanaging them in a space where I have to be out there getting out the house with a child is ridiculously hard. If y'all don't have children at home, just think about whatever you're doing now. And then not doing it if, if it's fun. <laughs> yeah. And then if it's not fun, think about leave. doing more. Not before fun. would take ten minutes. Now it's an hour. Just it's at least, at least, way. at least. So I guess I forgot my wallet. Come in here. Yep. I mean, he had bottles. He had his bag was ready. I didn't have my wedding <laughs> ring. I didn't have my, my nothing. Yep. So yeah. So I have to <clears throat> with figuring out how to delegate, and I mean, I guess it's my perspective on the world where there's. To find good people like you is rare who genuinely want to do good. and Because, I mean, all we really see is evil. We just see people doing bad over and over again. And to switch that mentality from those people is difficult. How hard was it for you to find your circle? Well, before you answer that, he, he did say he was a piece of shit. He said he had to become the yeah. guy he is. Professionally. <laughs> I, I mean, I wasn't a piece of shit as a human. Um, I thought I was. And then 
ironically, my 30th birthday, my wife had all my peoples and people that I didn't even, wasn't really as close to write letters to me. And she made a book because she didn't think we'd be able to meet in person. It was uh, 2020, June 2020. Yeah. And um, people who knew me from college, when I thought I was like, you know, I didn't join my fraternity to the end, so it had no reflection of like, some people say, yeah, frat guys. I'm like, nah, I graduated less than a month after crossing. But um, but for me, it was, um, you know, I just felt like I was, I was trying to sleep with all these girls because I thought that's what being a man was, and I wasn't. And I just felt like there were some sisters that we were better off friends I didn't just stay friends with. Or when I was um, uh, like in positions of power, sometimes I felt like I abused my power in ways that I was like, like better than like kind of superiority complex and like you know just a lot of ego just like who i was we all would look at who we used to be and think like dang i i could have done so much better comparing ourselves to our past but that's our lower so that's who we were that's a part of the process so i think i could have been better um personally but of course professionally like i was i was still suicidal i was perked up all the time i was on heavy drugs you know coming from dealing with survivor's guilt and dealing with all types of stuff from the shooting like i died that night and came back and my friend didn't make it and i'm like well why didn't he live you know he was always going to work he was responsible he was this he was that so you deal with some of that stuff and you know i'm going to sleep i could only go to sleep drunk or really really high so then i wouldn't get up for work on time that's what i meant by not being a good employee like i was a shitty employee like i was they changed my hours to one to eight and i would still show up late <laughs> like it was just it was bad bro like i wasn't ordering food on time like i wasn't it was just yeah so they were looking for a reason and then you know the the hard line was you can't have participants in your home or your vehicle so that's where i, I crossed the line so I'm glad it happened though. But um, but finding people, I'm actually, I don't think people are that bad. I, I think it's a whole lot more good than bad. I think uh, the media will sell you lies because fear sells. Um, fear is good for the public. War is good for the public, you know, as it relates to oppressive systems and what works for them. Um, I think there's so many people who want to do good and some people don't know how. And if you don't put people in positions that can, that are good for them, then they can't flourish, like trying to make a fish fly or a bird swim. So you have to be able to do an authentic assessment of who they are, um, what what skills they bring to the table, what skills do you lack? That's really how you build your team. What am I not good at? And that's how I found Tafari, and that's how I found Bella, and that's how I found Rhonda, and that's how I found people who like do all the things that I don't have the patience for or lack the understanding or the, that's just not my superhero, my superpower. You don't, thank you, bro. You don't need 10 hammers. You need a hammer, a Phillip head, a flathead, a drill. I don't know how to build stuff, but you need stuff, you know, and, you know, you don't need a bunch of hawks on the team either if you're the Avengers. Like, you need everybody. So, <laughs> my um, man, like, all his sayings, I got to write them down. Yeah. Well, you know, you, wear, you can't water all the plants. You can oh. <laughs> only wear one crown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wear too many crowns. I don't know, man. I just, I'm thinking, I mean, because I was going to do you Dragon Ball. You don't Z only reference. need hammers. You know, I mean, <laughs> Man, nah, bro. It's just, you know, building a team is important. And I, I think as I move into this next cycle of, especially after hibernation, like I don't physically have to be places anymore. I don't, I'm, uh, I picked up a part-time job at Cheney University because um, as a programming specialist, because they have a limit on how much they can spend on per, um, per contractor, per partner. And we've reached our limit for the fiscal year. So this position opened up and I'm like, cool, I can still do the work, but we don't need to get the credit, but now I can hire people from Eco. I can hire people from Eco's network to do the work. And instead of us doing it and getting paid as a middle person, you just get all that bread because that's my day job. I mean, it's $22 an hour, but it's 
it's easy. Like it's, it's what I've been doing anyway. Like, so, and then it allows us to work with other schools. Cause now I can, I can still do eco for other programs or other universities. It's a national grant that hired me, you know? So, um, I think it's important to be able to step away and do things that serve you. But like I said, checking in on my team and making sure I'm making decisions that building partnerships that are, are intentional and lasting and, um, and finding sustainable sources of income. So we're not trying to do whatever. And actually real estate is one of the things I just got, uh, what's that? Nope. Not that. I just got, um, don't say your real estate license. Cause we're going to end this podcast. No, 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 we're not doing that. What we, what we are doing though, like I just got approved for a home equity line of credit. And awesome. my home is only, I only bought it like, like 16, 15 months ago, but they're about to give me all this money for it. And I'm like, oh, we just need to keep buying in this area, 65,000, $85,000, $100,000 houses, whether we do something with them or not, they're going to gain equity. And with that equity, we could then create a, a share model where our employees now can, if they're there for, you know, the duration of, they commit four years or something, they could retire, if you will, and then pull from that equity. Or if they need a loan to fix their credit, they need a loan for a vehicle, a down payment on something, they can borrow against this line of credit mm -hmm. um, that ECO has gained from property. And then we also have that property to help with our housing initiatives. So young people who don't have safe places to stay can stay places. Because out of our apartments, we have one that's for emergency housing where a student moved in. He's moving in right now. I said, don't call me before six. I'll be in the podcast. But he doesn't have housing for the winter break. Yeah. So like we have one unit for that and one and another unit is our music studio slash storage. But if somebody needs to stay, they can stay there too. But what does it look like? We have a bunch of triplexes, duplexes, three bedrooms, whatever. Uh, the Omoja House from 1970, I really appreciate what uh, Queen Mother Falaka Fatah was able to create where they bought a bunch of houses and they had 3,000 young men um, between the ages of 16 and 24 have safe places to be and not have to worry about the violence. The gangs in Philly were wild at the time and they ended up doing in 1974 the Imani Peace Pact. And the Imani Peace Pact is when they agreed everyone to put their guns down. Like, and it worked until crack hit. But the Omoja House is what I, and they, it was in West Philly. It started as one space. And it grew and kept growing. And by the end of it, um, they had uh, almost two dozen homes and properties and places where they were doing God's work. Mm. And um, that's why I'm like, shoot, we got this money. Down payments is what, ten, forty thousand dollars mm -hmm. We could put it five, they do five-year mortgages for commercial. We could put five years worth of mortgage in the bank account. That's one property. Use the equity from this property to make the it's just like it's it's easy plays. But that's what I think we need to do moving forward. So that way everyone can get this bread. Yo, that that's a crazy vision that you have, actually. And I'm I'm glad to see that you're doing it with our people in mind. And um, like for anybody who's watching this, I want them to be able to walk away from this episode and say, like, all right, you know, like I see his vision. I'm motivated, but I don't know how to start or, you know, and I want them to be able to answer that question. So what would you say to your younger self if you can go back to help you, you know, get that head start? Get help sooner. Get get people to help you sooner. Like we had uh, Sister Stephanie and I, um, a good friend of mine. My mom got breast cancer uh, last year, and I moved back home. So my apartment above the eco center and a lot of my responsibilities couldn't get done because I was caring for my mother. And Sister Stephanie moved into my apartment. She moved back from LA and moved into my apartment, and she held it down and helped the work continue yeah. for about six months. And that's the six months I needed for my sister to finish school and move back home so I could have more flexibility at work. Um, so what I would tell myself is get help sooner. 
identify who you are, what your skills are, what you're not going to do. Be real with yourself. I'm not a data person. I don't like collecting data. I don't like to, I like surveys, but I don't like to like go through it. I don't have like fine tooth combs, like tedious stuff. That's not me. I'm not the anything before 11 a.m. person. Um, so don't front. Like that's me. Um, so, you know, find people who are. Um, build your team. And then um, I would also say Yippie Kai Nonprofit Solutions is now called Instant Nonprofit. Um, so you can go at instantnonprofitprofit.com.org. I don't know, Google it. But um, it's still around $1,100. And we've sponsored nonprofits before. I would say um, one of your listeners can come to me, contact me. And um, you can text me at 267-999-9901. That's 267-999-9901 or email me at Kyle at the ecofoundation.com or DM me. I'm Kyle the Conductor. And um, and I'll give them, I don't know, like 20 hours of coaching over the course of a few weeks to make sure that they have whatever they need. So um, I really don't care as long as this, I mean, they have to obviously have mission has to align. They came like a nonprofit for like the clan or something. But um, <laughs> but but whatever they get into, like I'm, I'm willing to support them if it's for the good of our people, because liberation can't just happen and, and by just us. And and too often people aren't collaborating with other nonprofits because we're all fighting over the same uh, same dollars. And something that the sister from um, uh, or this Puerto Rican lady from um, uh, a nonprofit that name escapes me, but I met her through uh, Impact 100 had an event at uh, at her rec center and. What she said was nonprofits were created to silence radicals, to get them to uh, to conform to society and what they want. And then similar to how we fight for the resources uh, as individuals and our families fight for resources, they have nonprofits doing the same thing. So we're all scrounging for resources and not necessarily trusting each other because we're going out for the same grants. There was even a grant in Philly where we had to get the most votes in order to, like the top 10 got 20,000, the bottom 10 got 12,500. Like- why not just give everybody bread? So, you know, people aren't doing things ethically and um, and equitably. So you have to be able to create these systems and find people who can do those things. Um, don't lose your fire. Sonia Sanchez said um, we have to be able to catch the fire that uh, our ancestors um, started and, and carried into today. So only way that's going to happen is if we do it together. So... Yeah, that's what I would tell. That's what I would tell my younger self. And uh, like I said, I'll give twenty hours of my time to someone trying to start a nonprofit from your uh, from your network. Shout out to you, damn. You want? I mean, come? he's he's. You said a lot of stuff that, like, in previous podcasts, like me and Larry kind of spoke about, and even having a, a therapist on on one of the episodes. Uh, but like one of the bigger things is just finding help therapy being able to figure yourself out or trusting somebody else with your emotions or your feelings and just helping guide you um which you know men struggle with already uh especially men of color so for you to come on here and say that that helped you greatly with your success um i think hopefully people can hear it and be like all right then i guess it's time for myself to take that first step in therapy to take care of yourself first um, because I mean, look at you, you got your family, you got a baby and that couldn't have never happened if you didn't take care of yourself first. Yeah. And I would, you're going to pass down who you are to your children anyway. So if you don't do your part, you're going to pass down the worst parts of yourself. Yeah. Um, so we owe it to the next generation to take care of ourselves and, and black men, uh, in particular men in general, men of color in general need to take care of their physical health as well. So I com- I'm coming in 2023 
to my physical health. I mean, sleeping, we got to sleep, we got to drink water, and, you know, we got to be grateful. So um, I call it shine, like sunshine, water, like we're plants, we're complicated emotions. That was like a, a meme I saw, but that's true, you know, and got to eat right, you know, not too much salt, high blood pressure. These are things that are killing us. Like my son is uh, eight months old. I'm 32. I want to be here when he's 32. I want to be here when he's a grandfather. And as things are possible, you know, um, we just got to make sure we, we do what we got to do. Um, so, yeah. Or, and even if it's not like so much as like the person here and is thinking, oh, I got to take care of myself. Like, even if it's the money, it's the motivation. Yeah. Like, you're only going to grow as big as your person. Like, yeah. your your mindset is only going to get you but so far. If you don't refine these things and then build upon yourself, you're always just going to be struggling for scraps. Because that's, that's what you know. And that's just kind of like who you are in that moment. Yeah. So Thinking small. Yeah, and that's something I had I learned when I got here, actually. is Because um, growing up in West Philly is weird. Like... There's people over in Winfield, you know, middle class, upper class families, hella bread, you know, doing all kind of stuff. And then there's people like just across the street, poor, struggling for survival. And you get older and you're like, all right, well, you know, how does that stuff affect us? And you see it because, you know, those people in Winfield, those kids went off to college or, you know, like started families and started business, whatever. But the people on the other side of the street, they scared to lead a block. Yeah. They don't want to go to school. They don't want to lead a corner. Cause even if they're making $500 a month, they're like, oh, this is what I know. This is just where I'm comfortable at. And it's crazy, man. I, I really hope that everybody is, um, who's listening or is watching is, is taking away everything that you're spitting today. Because I, I think you dropped a lot of gems today, a lot of like life-changing information. And the fact that you sat on here and offered 20 hours of coaching just speaks to the kind of person that you are. So it's not like you just sitting up here bullshitting. Yeah. Like you're 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 a genuine person, and, and I appreciate that. I think the world does. I'm grateful, man. I, I will say um, that's only because I've done an assessment. I recognize like the importance of service and helping others. Um, and now, as my schedule is like 20 hours or less a week, um, yeah, I should be writing my dissertation. But what I'd rather do is help people. <laughs> like, but I know, you know, like my stuff aside, my own needs aside, um, I want to just make sure that entrepreneurs or whomever out there that's trying to get to the bag. If you don't take care of what's going on internally, it's never going to work. And I used to host bar mitzvahs for a black entertainment company for five years. I retired last year. My little brother still works for them. But the speech that the owner, um, Leon, gives everybody is um, whatever you're into now, because we make we make a lot of money hosting bar mitzvahs. Like um, now that I'm older, it's still like great money. But like my brother is 22, made 80 racks, you know, because you're making Four or five hundred dollars is the, is the ground, you know, yeah. a party. And you may do three parties a weekend and bigger parties are like twelve hundred, fifteen hundred. So you can make thousands of dollars in a weekend. And, um, you know, that's that's its own thing. But he tells us if you gamble, you're going to gamble more. If you tricking, you're going to trick more. If you smoking, you're going to smoke more. So if you don't get that stuff under control, you'll be blowing through your money and then asking for an advance. Mm-hmm. And he's seen it. And I've seen people come and go. I've seen people. Play, in, play with powder here and there, get coked out on some Wolf of Wall Street stuff, and they they done, you know, and they they fiending for another job, but no one wants them because their mind deteriorated. Right. So, you know, get yourself together. Or you're going to ruin everything around you. Or it just won't grow how it's supposed to. Mm. Damn. Five minutes on it? Yeah. yeah. 
want to wrap it or you got to? No, I think we're good. I mean, yeah. I just want to really thank you. Um, appreciate you coming on here. Obviously, you got so much going on. You got a lot to take care of. So it really means a lot that Literally. you take the time. I know. <laughs> to come in here. Um, grateful. No, we're grateful, man. Uh, just like he said, to speak the knowledge that you did. Because, you know, not all of our episodes are the same, right? Uh, some of them are sillier than others. Um, but one thing that me and Larry always wanted to do is if we're not entertaining somebody by just comedy, we want to uh, educate them. You know what I mean? Like, that's the biggest thing. And when you said earlier that educating through entertainment was uh, what you do. Yep, edutainment, yep. Um, that's what me and Larry, even before we started the podcast, it was one thing that we agreed would be important because the only way people are staying or, you know, staying focused on something is if they're having fun with it. Yeah. Um, it could teach them something, but if they're not having fun with it, they're not going to stick around. Yeah. Um, so when you said that, I mean, it resonated with what we're trying to do here as well. Yeah. We actually um, do trainings for companies like uh, uh, setting up one right now with a tech company that has annual mandatory trainings, like retraining programs for 10 year employees or 10 day employees, but it's boring. So they hired us to come in and make their programming fun. We've done it for coffee shops. We've done it for insurance companies. Um, so in the adult spaces, it looks like our big old kids party where adults are jumping in moon bounces and playing double dutch, eating candy that'll probably hurt their teeth and drinking drinks named after like Reptar and Aunt Viv and whatever at a skating rink that we all partied at when we were kids or, you know, a community center or whatever. But they're doing it to let their inner child out because to us, yeah, we're raffling off free therapy and we have, you know, raffling off free massages and all of that. But if we're better to the kid inside of us, we're better to the kids around us. So we love doing that event for schools and um, parents and social workers and people who interact with children. But it's good for everybody. You know, if you you may pick up something you forgot you like doing, like I think during the pandemic, we did too many puzzles and coloring books, but you may pick up something else that you really appreciate. So um, a quick way for people to figure out who we are that has all of our info to, to volunteer, to work with us, to book us, um, to give us a donation is whoareyall.com. It was a microsite I created a couple weeks ago for the Black Male Educator Conference. And um, it's whoareyall, y'all.com. And it has everything at the bottom, it has our phone numbers and email and all of that. So, and uh, even if you're someone who doesn't, if you're not the first person that gets to 20 hours, um, you know, uh, we are at 5411 Market Street in West Philly. There has to be a way we can support our service and capacity. So let's figure it out. Well, thanks, Kyle, for coming on. We appreciate you having, him on, uh, having you on the Man Cave podcast. Wow, what the I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's really what it is. All that paintball. But yeah, um, you know, we look forward to speaking with you in the future and catching out what the Eco Foundation is doing. I'm Larry. This is my man, George. We out of here. Peace. <laughs>